Gertrude and Alice were creating and recreating their lesbian relationship before and during the first two world wars. Both Jewish and lesbian, they could have been killed for either of these identities. Mr. is so grateful. Dear Mrs. Lovingly yours, Mr. Enjoy this rollicking battle of the sexes, where gender roles are deliciously reversed and the repartee zings back and forth like a peppy badminton match. Are you going to go on pretending you're hard? Seems to me you started all this pretending a week ago. Come on, everybody, get hot! Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Church of England starts trial period for queer couple blessings. Gertrude's precious baby always shines and visiting Hollywood's heyday with two girls about town. Those stories and more this week because you've chosen This Way Out. I'm Joe Bainline. And I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. With Newswrap. A summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending November 18th, 2023. The Church of England is going to experiment on lesbian and gay couples. By a single vote this week, the Church's General Synod approved a trial for special services to bless queer partners. The services will look much like the wedding ceremonies of heterosexual couples with music, readings, and other celebratory elements. However, they won't be considered official church wedding ceremonies. Clergy will not be obligated to perform them. Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby is the titular leader of the Global Anglican Communion. He joined Amendment supporter Archbishop of York Stephen Cottrell in a statement that read in part, We have heard loud and clear through an extensive debate over two days the depth of feeling across the church on these hugely important questions. While this motion was passed, narrowly, we do not underestimate the depth of feeling and will reflect on all that we have heard as we seek to move forward together. Welby and Cottrell have reason to be defensive. Their statement anticipates the outrage of more traditionalist Anglicans who maintain that romantic same-gender love is always sinful. Those objections come mostly from the Southern Hemisphere. There's also opposition within the Church of England itself. To Daniel Matavu, the experiment is contrary to and wholly inconsistent with God's word. The barrister and lay member of the General Synod said during debate that the Bible makes it clear that a man who sleeps with another man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The Church of England still teaches that marriage is exclusively heterosexual. It's not yet clear when the first church blessings of queer couples will be held. Some believe it could be in early 2024. The experiment is expected to take about two years before the services are fully authorized. Reverend Canon John Donette leads the Church of England Evangelical Council and gave this warning. It will tear local parish congregations apart, damage the relationship between large numbers of clergy and their bishops, and cause churches across the diocese to feel as though their shepherds have abandoned them. Despite the apparent breakthrough, queer faith activist Jane Ozan of the General Synod believes the Church of England remains deeply homophobic, whatever bishops and archbishops say. In her words, I fear that much of the nation will judge the Church of England as being abusive, hypocritical, and unloving. They are sadly correct. 
activists are not buying the official explanation of the shocking death of Latin America's first out non-binary judge. Jesus Asiel Baena was found dead in their home on November 13th, beside a second body, identified as Baena's romantic partner, Darian Dani Nieves. Thousands of people marched through Mexico City the following night to demand justice for the trailblazer. Police in the central Mexican state of Aguas Calientes believe that Nieves killed Baena in a crime of passion and then took their own life. Baena's family and some LGBTQ advocacy groups questioned that conclusion. Baena's appointment to the state electoral tribunal in October last year was heralded as historic for a country known for its machismo and rigid gender role expectations. Earlier this year, Bayena was among the first group of people to be issued a gender-neutral passport. It's no surprise that their groundbreaking career brought repeated death threats. According to police officials, Bayena had 20 separate razor blade wounds, including the likely fatal slash across their neck. Their family and queer activists are urging police officials to investigate both deaths as possible hate crimes. Former Chief Justice of Mexico's Supreme Court Arturo Zaldivar mourned Baena's death on the platform known to everyone except Elon Musk as Twitter. He wrote, We lost a powerful voice for equality and the rights of LGBTI plus people. The 11th semi-quadrennial Gay Games wrapped up in Hong Kong on November 11th, and it was the first queer Olympic competition ever held in Asia. Hong Kong organizers faced more obstacles than many of their predecessors. They survived the COVID pandemic, which postponed the competition. They faced political and cultural opposition to holding such a blatantly queer event in China, as local city officials got heat from Beijing to find a way to stop it. Efforts to ban the games on national security grounds failed. Some human rights groups called for a boycott because the clampdown on freedoms in Hong Kong has gotten worse in recent years. Taiwanese athletes decided against coming to Hong Kong for fear of being arrested. Mainland China refuses to acknowledge their country's independence. 36 different sports, arts, and cultural events were originally planned. Health and political uncertainties eventually trimmed the number down to 18 competitions, ranging from dragon boat races to mahjong. The flagship dragon boat races featured more than 500 participants on 44 teams rowing down the Xingmu River. One in four of those teams came from overseas. Some 2,400 competitors participated in the Hong Kong Gay Games. Organizers say the bumpy road ahead of the event led to fewer competitors than expected and smaller venue crowds. Director of Sports Ban Ying told OutSports, It all revolves around uncertainty, which prevents you from wanting to commit. Co-president of the Federation of Gay Games, Joni Evans, still praised the Hong Kong-hosted event, as the best games ever. She called the organization and competition perfect, setting a benchmark for future events. The next Gay Games is set for the Spanish city of Valencia from May 31st to June 6, 2026. The U.S. Supreme Court is refusing to back Republican Governor Ron DeSantis' efforts to outlaw family-friendly drag shows in Florida. 
The nation's top court voted 6-3 to three not to grant an emergency request to overturn lower courts that had blocked enforcement of the ban. The majority did not provide any reasons for the November 16th decision. The three dissenting judges were the court's most conservative members, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch. They urged their fellow justices to consider Florida's request to review the law. While agreeing with the majority, Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote, Florida's stay application to this court does not raise a First Amendment issue. Therefore, the court's denial of the stay indicates nothing about our view on whether Florida's new law violates the First Amendment. A district judge citing First Amendment free speech grounds had blocked the ban from taking effect. The vaguely written law bans minors from attending adult live performances and includes an ill-defined prohibition of lewd conduct. Drag shows are not specifically targeted. A three-judge panel of the generally conservative 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals let that temporary injunction stand. The court ruling still blocks enforcement of the law anywhere in the state of Florida. The legal challenge to the law was brought by the Orlando location of the Hamburger Mary's restaurant chain. Its family-friendly Sunday drag brunch shows are usually sold out. Their case now returns to the full bench of the 11th Circuit Appeals Court for review, according to The Hill. Finally, are one million moms really against Macy's iconic Santa Claus? The organization's number has never actually been verified, but it's circulating an online petition condemning the department store's world-famous Thanksgiving Day Parade. To them, it's a non-binary and transgender extravaganza. They've set their sights on performances from two Broadway musicals along the parade route. In Juliet, the main character's best friend is a non-binary character named May. May is currently being played by the real-life non-binary actor Justin David Sullivan. The moms also target Shucked. Gender non-conforming actor Alex Newell from the TV series Glee plays the female character Lulu. Macy's issued a statement in strong support of its diversity. For nearly 100 years, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade has showcased the very best in entertainment, delighting Americans everywhere with the most popular music acts, the best of Broadway, our country's finest marching bands and dance teams, and giant balloons and floats that capture your imagination. We look forward to celebrating this iconic Thanksgiving tradition again next week. One mom, who's not one of the million, will usher in the arrival of Santa Claus in the prestigious finale of the parade. Superstar Cher, who also has a transgender son named Chaz. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending November 18th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. Stay healthy. And I'm Joe Bainline. Stay safe. Good news. Ain't that good news? Ain't that news?
Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out and Chair of Overnight Productions, Inc., the parent nonprofit organization that operates this weekly program, free to non-commercial radio stations worldwide since April 1st of 1988. We are one step closer to preserving our collection through digitizing old reel-to-reel tapes and cassette tapes and entering them in the research catalogs at UC Santa Barbara, libraries, special collections, and the Library of Congress. We are already engaged with the Radio Preservation Task Force Gender and Sexuality Caucus at the Library of Congress to create projects to include the collection in research projects for university media and gender studies courses. If you would like to know more about this project or become involved, please email us at info at thiswayout.org. Here's to queer history. Think you've had your fill of the secrets of celebrity couples? Wait. We remember a 1999 book, This Way Out's Janet Mason, discovered that pierced the privacy of a pair of the 20th century's most prominent lesbians. something potentially embarrassing about the intimacies of lovers. Think about it. Has your lover ever called you by your pet name in public? It was with some trepidation then that I looked between the covers of Baby Precious Always Shines, selected love notes between Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas. Edited by Kay Turner and published by the Stonewall imprint of St. Martin's Press, this book brings together for the first time a collection of private notes passed between Gertrude and Alice, the two women who had the distinction of being the most famous lesbian couple of the 20th century. Reading the book from cover to cover gave me the sense of looking through a keyhole into the everyday intimacies that made up the marriage of Gertrude and Alice. Gertrude was the husband, the hubby, and Alice was her wifey, her wife, her precious baby. Their partnership lasted for 39 years, from 1907 until Gertrude's death in 1946. In Gertrude Stein's words, it happened very simply that they were married. They were naturally married. Gertrude Stein, sometimes referred to as the mother of modernism, has often been misunderstood. Her writing, with its use of repetition and unusual word patterns, is not nonsense, as some would have us believe, or the result of a psychological condition. Stein used language itself to break apart the conventions of literature and thought. In other words, instead of portraying reality, the words are their own reality. Gertrude and Alice did the same thing in the creation and recreation of their marriage. While some feminists criticized Gertrude and Alice for what they saw as an imitation of role-bound heterosexual unions, others, such as Joan Nessel, defined butch-femme relations as complex erotic statements, not phony heterosexual replicas. These love notes from Gertrude and Alice are also complex erotic statements. They are missives of domestic lesbian life, and they are also art. As Alice wrote to Gertrude, notes are a very beautiful form of literature and Gertrude herself has called some of these notes poems. They are lesbian love poems that would have been published as such had the world been more accepting. Consider, for instance, the following. Dear Mrs., 
I take my pen in hand to congratulate you, dear Mrs., on the extremely promising husband you have. He promises everything, and he means it, too. He did not not mean it. He means it. The darling, this ejaculation refers to Mrs., not to Mr., as might be erroneously supposed. Mrs. is the fountain of all good, all beauty, and all sweetness. Mrs. is a graceful fountain, and she plays over Mr., who is certain that Mrs. is a grateful fountain, which means that it is grateful to Mr. to have Mrs. play over him. Mr. is so grateful. Dear Mrs., lovingly yours, Mr. This could make a case for the fact that there is little, if anything, that is new, including the debate over female ejaculation and the radical deconstruction of gender. On the other hand, it could also lead us to the fact that these things are always new. Gertrude and Alice were creating and recreating their lesbian relationship before and during the first two world wars. Both Jewish and lesbian, they could have been killed for either of these identities. Both Gertrude and Alice were Americans who emigrated to France as young women. They were among the lucky ones who went into hiding during World War II and survived. Afterwards, Gertrude wrote to Alice, I love you so much more, every war, more and more and more and more. This collection can be read as literature in itself and also as insight into Gertrude Stein's great body of work. Ultimately, as the editors note in the introduction, these notes disclose the intimacies of a deeply committed very rare, and at the same time, very ordinary marriage. Near the end of her life, Gertrude Stein wrote in a libretto about the life of feminist Susan B. Anthony, What is marriage? Is marriage protection or religion? Is marriage renunciation or abundance? Is marriage a stepping stone or an end? What is marriage? As I flip through these notes once passed between Gertrude and Alice, it occurs to me that marriage might at times be a sentence, but it can also be a question. With commentary on Baby Precious Always Shines, selected love notes between Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas from St. Martin's Press. And with thanks to Deborah D'Alessandro for production assistance, this is Janet Mason for This Way Out. This is Dorothy Allison, author of Bastard Out of Carolina and numerous trashy pieces. You're listening to This Way Out, the international lesbian and gay radio magazine. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank, Thank you. you. Queer-coded comedies were all the rage for Depression-era Hollywood before the infamous Hayes office set strict boundaries on such content. Revisiting one of those 1930s classics yields some vintage cultural collectibles for This Way Out's John Dyer V. The premise is so simple. Two sexy gals, or make that 
two of the most charming ladies in town, are hired as escorts for, quote, just a couple of playboys from the Corn Belt. In this case, a wealthy but stingy industrialist nicknamed the Copper King and his very handsome assistant. In the expert hands of out gay director George Cukor, this 1931 comedy from Paramount achieves minor masterpiece stature in all of 79 minutes. 92 years after its release, Girls About Town is an extremely funny satire whose cultural relevance and biting awareness of sexual politics still gleams true gold. Uh, you're about as smart a girl as I've ever met. Oh, Mr. Webster, you make me all conceited. <laughs> you don't come to New York very often, do you? Not often enough, I guess. Oh, I'll bet you say that to every girl you meet. No, I don't. Don't you feel? No. no, I think there's nothing so distinguished as gray hair. Tall, dark-haired, and sultry-voiced, Kay Francis stars alongside Lillian Tashman, also tall, blonde and with a husky, slightly nasal-speaking voice. Apart from being blessed with perfect comic timing and brilliant delivery, both women are also irresistible to watch in their gorgeous, slinky, and often dazzling fashions designed by the great and gay Travis Banton. They're paired with, and sometimes against, the beautiful, young, and very tall Joel McRae as business associate to the Copper King's Eugene Pellette, who is short, rotund, balding, and boasting a voice of pure gravel. Oh, Mr. Thomas, you're just a card. <laughs> <laughs> well, you ladies will find out that I'm a very funny fellow. I'll bet. You know, uh, unfortunately, I was born with a great sense of humor. Why, well, I could go on for days amusing you with just comical little tricks. Rounding out the main cast are... Louise Beavers, as the two girls' all-knowing, wisecracking maid, Hattie, who greets one of them with, Hello, honey sugar, and later calls her, My little cream puff. The mannish and deadpan Lucille Webster Gleason plays the long-suffering wife of Palette's character, and fay actor Anderson Lawler is the money-grubbing ex to Kay Francis's character. This was also the film debut of the Andy Griffith show's Ain't B, Frances Bavier, playing yet another party girl in a non-speaking bit part. Before getting to how groundbreakingly gay this comedic gem really is, we have to share more of the fantastic one-liners sprinkled liberally throughout. Lillian Tashman declares in the opening scenes, It's been an evil night, and Kay Francis replies, I got a callus on my knee from my boyfriend's subtle approach. Lillian, as Marie, says to Kay, as Wanda, Are you calling yourself names or me? It makes a difference, you know. In a later romantic scene that doesn't end well, Joel McRae's Jim quips, Maybe you think I fell on my head as a baby. Wanda later retorts to him, Let me be the first to congratulate you on getting rid of me. In Girls About Town, Tashman's character Marie is alleged to be inspired by theater and film goddess Tallulah Bankhead, who reportedly had an affair with black Oscar-winning actress Hattie McDaniel. 
Actors Lillian Tashman and Kay Francis are reported to have had same-sex affairs, and even the all-American and long-married McRae has occasionally been linked in Hollywood media to some of his same-gender friends. Gay actor Anderson Lawler was an intimate of director Cukor and a regular cast member in some of his films. Cukor was quite well known for his regular Sunday afternoon pool parties that were always stocked with beautiful, young, semi-dressed men, all of them interested in getting ahead. Even Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Zoe Akins, who co-wrote the screenplay, is said to have had a long-term lesbian relationship, apart from her having been married to a British scenery and costume designer. This film appears to have utilized a gay, or else gay-friendly, stock company, which may help explain why it still rings true and works on so many different levels. As with most sophisticated Hollywood films made prior to the 1960s, frank gay content is only implied, yet quite visible if you watch for it. There's an early shot of lingerie-clad Wanda and Marie lying in bed together with an easy familiarity. Marie asks Wanda, are you going straight on me? And then declares, if I had your money, I'd go straight. And we do realize this term refers to legitimacy as well as heterosexuality. Later, when speaking to the Copper King's very butch wife about how to open up his wallet, Marie says, let's go into my bedroom and talk. It's so much cozier. It never really goes beyond that, but add it all together and it's clearly intentional. Are you going to go on pretending you're hard? Seems to me you started all this pretending a week ago. The opening film credits reveal pretty party girls towering above city skyscrapers in partial silhouette. It then goes right into a montage of all the girls about town coming in and out of a sumptuous ladies' lounge, griping over their dates and hearing about Des Moines all evening, which perfectly sets up the lavish sex fantasy we're witnessing. Gorgeous Art Deco sets, amazing camera work by Ernest Haller, arch dialogue played very naturally, and a jaunty rhythm all elevate this early depression Hollywood comedy of manners. Ultimately, the film is a simple on-again, off-again romance between a woman who just wants to get off the party boat and her innocent, wary, and well-bred young fellow from Dear Old Lansing, who's looking for real love. Watch for the fabulous little touches, like the sleek, swiveling liquor case in the rich man's apartment. The deliciously campy facial expressions made by Kay Francis's Wanda. Tashman's Marie drunkenly lighting her cigarette off a huge blazing birthday cake. And my favorite moment, Marie snuggling to sleep, holding her paycheck like it's a teddy bear. Enjoy this rollicking battle of the sexes, where gender roles are deliciously reversed and the repartee zings back and forth like a peppy badminton match. Hello, Jerry. Jerry, this is Marie. My telephone number is still the same, but from now on, I work alone. You can find Girls About Town for free on YouTube and other streaming platforms and you are heartily encouraged to study all the films of Cukor, Francis, Tashman, McRae, and company. I'm John Dyer V for This Way Out, and we hope you've enjoyed this spotlight on vintage gay cinema that is not to be missed.
Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Joe Bainline and Elena Botkin Levy and produced by Brian DeShazer. Our correspondents were Janet Mason and John Dyer V. You heard music by Holly Near, Wet Willie, and Van Dyke Parks and Brian Wilson. Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks John Beaupre and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Ask about how you can join them. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and on CFMH St. John, New Brunswick, WWSX, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, KBRP, Bisbee, Arizona, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.